The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. That prophecy of Ezekiel has become reality in our generation. The story of Israel is part of the ministry of the Jerusalem Channel. On this historic 70th anniversary of the rebirth of Israel, please consider making a special gift to continue our media ministry through our website, the Jerusalem Channel app, or by mail. Recently, I was invited to a church with the invitation suggesting that if I attended, all my dreams would be fulfilled. Quite frankly, there's a lot of cotton candy being offered in many Western churches, but mature believers realize that this world is not utopia where dreams always come true. It's more of a battleground than a playground. Ephesians 6.12 declares, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The adversary of our soul continually suggests thoughts of despair to try to paralyze us. But Satan has many limitations and weaknesses, and he can be demoralized when we praise the Lord in the midst of our struggles. And when we resist, Satan flees. Today, let's examine some of the current issues that we face that require wisdom, guidance, discernment, and resistance. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. It's fair to say that we're living in a time totally different in history. Today we're faced with complex issues that people have never had to face previously. Because of the advent of modern medicine, thankfully we're living longer, and there's also been a decline in child mortality. For the first time in history, residents of high, middle, and even low-income countries are likely to live to age 60 and beyond. The United Nations has called longevity one of the most significant social transformations of the 21st century. Should the Lord tarry, by the year 2030, it's been projected that 1.4 billion people will live to be over 60 years old. But while people may be living longer, the elderly aren't necessarily living healthier, more active lives. Living longer brings all sorts of health and faith challenges, as well as care facility concerns for the elderly. A big consequence of our times is what's being referred to as loneliness due to social isolation or social poverty.
an article recently published in the New York Times, concerned the perils of the age of the Internet and how people no longer have close associations in their localities, like in the past. To illustrate how times have changed, the article started off by mentioning an American rancher who died during the Great Depression in the 1930s. He left his family deeply in debt, and the bankers confiscated all of his livestock. To try to save the family ranch, his sons wanted to secure a loan, but nobody would co-sign for the money. Finally, in desperation, they approached a neighbor who had a reputation for being a miser. But to their surprise, the neighbor said, yes, of course, I'll co-sign the note because your dad was the most generous man I've ever known. Such was the value of good neighbor relations. But now fast forward to the present and the rancher's grandson, Robert Hall, has written a book about the decline of community spirit. The book is called This Land of Strangers. He wrote, and please listen carefully because it's a great truth. He said, relationships are the most valuable resources in any society. Relationships are our lifelines to survive, to grow, and to thrive. In his book, Robert Hall is sounding the alarm about deteriorating relationships. You see, there's a mountain of evidence suggesting that the quality of our relationships has been declining steadily for decades. In fact, in many cases, relationships are collapsing. Robert Hall wrote that worshiping at the altar of high tech has created a crisis that everyone feels, but it's gone unnamed. Individuals and organizations that possess superior relationships thrive, but those with deteriorating relationships are doomed to decline. The author made an interesting observation that our relationship networks have become narrower. We're exposed to less diversity. Christians hang out with Christians. Affluents hang out with other affluents. Narrowing of relationships has two effects. It may isolate and prejudice against others, and it may lead to less informed decisions. Well, the book challenges us to restore, to revalue, and reclaim relationships among family, friends, and acquaintances. In the 1980s, 20% of Americans said that they were often lonely, but now 40% are claiming loneliness. Suicide rates are reportedly at a 30-year high. A new study reports that loneliness is at epidemic levels in the United States, and younger adults say that they're the loneliest. I found it fascinating that the Harvard Business Review quoted a former Surgeon General who summarized his experience as a physician. And he said the most common pathology that he saw during his medical career wasn't cancer or heart disease or diabetes, but loneliness. He wrote that weak social connections have negative health consequences, the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Think about that. And teenagers are opting to spend more time alone 
in front of their digital screens. That means they're more likely to put off the responsibilities of adulthood, and the greater the screen time, the greater their unhappiness seems to grow. Sociologists claim that smartphones are also destroying our generation. Well, the solution is to put down the electronics and give time to family and friends face-to-face. -face. And it's fascinating that recently Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg was grilled in Congress concerning privacy issues. But a quandary surrounding Facebook is not just privacy. We keep hearing that the social media are feeding isolation and feeding the epidemic of loneliness. Recently at church, one of our pastors exhorted us to reach out to our neighborhoods again and to make new efforts to get connected with people on a local basis. For the gospel's sake, we must do something as often as we're led by the Holy Spirit in order to relieve the heartbreak of the lonely who exist all around us. After all, this word of God admonishes us, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, another quandary we face today is trying to get the church to understand the times and to take advantage of the opportunities we have. I've never felt a greater prayer burden than these recent times when so many prophetic events have been converging. There is now a serious global dispute over the rightful place of the Jews in Jerusalem, their ancient capital. But the Bible is clear that a great controversy over Zion would arise in the last days. Yet, God says, He has already settled the matter by placing His King, the Messiah, on the holy hill of Zion. Psalm 2.6 refers to the coming blessed time when the Messiah will take up the throne of His father David on Mount Zion. And 50 years have now passed since the reunification of Jerusalem in fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And the Lord has been showing many watchmen that there's a 50-year jubilee cycle in operation over the holy city in these modern times. According to the law of jubilee in the Torah, every 50 years something dramatic happens to release Jerusalem further into its prophetic destiny. The move of governmental embassies back to the city of the great king signals an even greater shift in the physical and spiritual realms. If people knew the Bible, they would understand that God is busy fulfilling many prophecies in Jerusalem prior to the second coming of Jesus. But sadly, biblical illiteracy is growing, and arrogantly so. Gentlemen's Quarterly magazine recently published a list of 21 books they claim you don't have to read. And the Bible was on the list. The editors described this book as foolish. Can you imagine? It's the most important book in history. Without reading the Bible, you could never comprehend great works of art and other masterpieces of literature that make biblical references. But most of all, Without reading it, you will perish. You won't know the gospel. Another quandary we face today is growing paganism in the nations, which will make them ripe for the lawlessness of the coming man of sin, the Antichrist. Paganism seems to be encroaching on 
all sides, even as we walk down the streets. People are not ashamed to use the most vulgar language right as they pass you. And Paul admonished us in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells inside of you? But because our Western societies have drifted from our biblical moorings, society is relapsing into paganism. Our bodies aren't meant to be covered with graffiti. If you're wondering if you should get a tattoo, this Bible has an answer for you. Tattoos are not harmless, and they provide a portal for spirits to enter into one's body. God gave a prohibition against tattoos in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 28. The customs of the heathen are not to be emulated. That verse is part of the Lord's commentary on the Ten Commandments. He's explaining that it's required that God's people be a holy people because the God of Israel is a holy God. And we're created in His image. And so therefore, He doesn't want strange images transferred onto His image in us. So this week, I studied the Bible commentaries on the prohibition against tattoos. It seems that in ancient times, it was a custom for mourners to cut and pierce their flesh and to let their hair grow long and wild in a disorderly manner. To this day in the East, the bereaved lacerate their bodies and heads when mourning for the dead. Tattooing was practiced in ancient Egypt and was connected with superstition. Any voluntary disfigurement was considered an outrage upon God's workmanship. When giving this prohibition, God said, I am the Lord, as if that's the last word on the matter. God reminded his people that they were created in his image, so they mustn't disfigure their bodies. The Torah says, you are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead. You see, the people of God mustn't sorrow as others who have no hope. The practice of tattooing was common among barbarians as well as among more advanced nations. The Jewish sages explained that it was the custom of the Amorites to cut their flesh when anyone died. With punctures and ink, pagan worshipers impressed upon their bodies images of their gods and goddesses. But God said he made man in his image. To prevent disfiguration of the body, the Mosaic law enacted phylacteries to bind as a sign upon a man's hand and as a memorial between his eyes. Deuteronomy 11.18 says, Therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign on your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. Eben Ezra, one of the most distinguished Jewish commentators and philosophers of the Middle Ages, said markings on the body and lacerations on the face were usually an idolatrous practice. The famous rabbi Ben Gershom said that tattoos were customs of the Gentiles to imprint upon themselves the mark of an idol to show that they were slaves, servants of an idol. But God said, I am the Lord. Only I must be acknowledged as God, obeyed and served, and not any strange God whose mark 
should not be imprinted on the body. Another quandary we all have to face concerning ourselves or our loved ones is health care. My husband and I once knew an American couple who refused to buy any kind of health insurance because they were convinced that insurance would negate their faith in God. When they died, as far as we know, they didn't leave behind any debts in this world. And for many years, they were faithful financial supporters of our ministry. Decisions not to take medicine are a very individual matter according to one's faith and how you're led by the Holy Spirit. There's simply no pat answers or formulas. Each one of us has to be led by the Holy Spirit. And God does allow us liberty and he does honor genuine faith. As I've pointed out in previous programs, in the early 1900s, the great Welsh intercessor Rhys Howells helped to recover the healing promises of the gospel that had been neglected for generations in many of the churches. Rhys Howells knew individuals who were guided all their adult lives not to take medicine, and these individuals enjoyed victory. One such person was his aristocratic friend, Lord Radstock who gave many testimonies of how the Lord honored his decision not to take medications. Under Reese Howells' intercessory counsel, a man with an advanced case of tuberculosis was healed, and Howells' uncle was healed of paralysis. But Howells was never against medicine. The principle he'd discovered was that man's extremity is God's opportunity. For example, he once advised a woman that she would be perfectly safe to convalesce in a medical facility, and if the doctors failed, it would not be too late for God to take up her case. Well, people wondered why Reese Howell studied medicine after the Lord had granted him such marvelous victories and divine healing. But he and his wife were headed for the mission field, and they found the medical studies, including a maternity course, to be very helpful on the mission field. On the general subject of medicine and faith, Howell said to tell other people not to take medicine when you're not sure of guidance is nothing less than tragedy, especially if the individuals die. By the way, it's a good idea to learn how to do CPR. CPR stands for cardiopulmonary resuscitation. C is for cardio, which of course refers to the heart. P is for pulmonary, which refers to the lungs to receive oxygen and supply oxygen to the blood. And R is for resuscitation to revive a person from death or unconsciousness. On one of our recent tours in Israel, our group took a CPR course at Israel's emergency medical services, Magan David Adom. Knowing when and how to perform CPR can save lives. We were told that doing CPR right away can double or even triple a person's chance of surviving a life-threatening emergency. Well, with so many uncertainties and quandaries facing us, it's wise to develop a strong theology concerning divine healing that can support us in times of trouble and national emergencies. When it comes to divine healing, author and pastor Andrew Murray is another one of my faith heroes. He died at age 88 in 1917. He was born in South Africa, the son of a Dutch Reformed missionary from Scotland. 
and he was a champion of the South African revival of 1860 and a frequent speaker at the evangelical gatherings at Keswick in England. A preacher is often attacked on the vocal cords in one way or the other, and we have to learn how to overcome these attacks. Andrew Murray was one. He lost his voice for more than two years, but that forced him to pursue the whole issue of divine healing. After he was healed, he published a classic that I highly recommend reading. Andrew Murray's book of meditations is called Divine Healing, and it's a PDF file freely available on the internet. It's one of the most convincing books concerning divine healing. Murray wrote that the healing promises in the Bible are often dismissed because some preachers have erroneously taught that healings and miracles were limited to the time of the early church in order to establish Christianity. But he also wrote that the church lost its healing power because of unbelief. Well, is it the will of God that miracles should cease? Is the church guilty of lacking faith? People have their opinions, but what does the scripture say on these matters? Well, Murray argued, and I believe correctly, that the Bible does not authorize us to believe that the gifts of healing were granted only to the early church. On the contrary, the instructions that Jesus gave to the apostles shortly before his ascension appear to be applicable to all times. For example, in Mark chapter 16, Jesus commanded, go into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be condemned. And Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall cast down serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, they'll be immune. It shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. Hallelujah. The health of the body is so important that even after Jesus' ascension to heaven, the apostles carried on his healing work. For example, in Acts chapter 3, the apostle Peter healed the crippled beggar at the temple gate. In that miraculous episode, we learned that a healthy body, as well as the gift of healing, glorifies God. We ought to look at illness as an impediment to our ability to do the work of God. But that's not all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul listed the gifts of healings and the working of miracles among the operations of the Holy Spirit. And Paul put no time limit upon those gifts. Furthermore, in the New Testament, in the little epistle of James, we have a precise command on this matter of healing and the prayer of faith without any time restrictions. Let's look at James chapter 5, starting with verse 13. Here he asks, is anyone among you afflicted? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Verse 14, is any among you sick? What does he tell us to do? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And verse 15, and the prayer 
of faith, not the prayer of unbelief. The prayer of faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So let's not sit on the fence when it comes to the promises of God concerning healing. Know what this word teaches and then don't be ashamed to believe it and to practice it. I often say that the verses we fail to believe become blind spots where our faith walk will be weak. Abortion of the unborn is another terrible quandary in these times. Did you know that ultrasound is in the Bible? Well, not really, but the concept is in this Bible. One of the most exciting photos I've ever seen was an image of my grandchild in his mother's womb. And Psalm 139 says that God sees our bodies. That Psalm declares, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The eye of God sees the unformed body in every womb and God sees with the eyes of love and not the eyes of condemnation. When you and I were in our mother's wombs, God didn't scan us for imperfections. To the Almighty, each life in the womb is considered precious and not just a fetus. The child in the womb is a person that God uniquely loves. I want to assure you that no matter what the circumstances of your conception were, whether you were wanted or unwanted, planned or unplanned, loved or rejected, God sees you in the womb from the beginning and cares for your life. Furthermore, this wonderful Psalm 139 verse 14 says, I will praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. King David was truly inspired when he wrote Psalm 139. And let's admit it, we're often unhappy and, and deeply dissatisfied with our bodies. Yet, they're awesome and more agile than any biotic limbs could ever be. No robot arm or robot hand can ever come close to matching the agility of an arm or hand created by God. Our eyes are wonders that no camera can truly simulate. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of my iniquities, who heals all of my diseases, who redeems my life, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies, and he satisfies our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. That's one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 103. Well, our time is up, but I want to say it's always a delight to hear from those of you who've been encouraged and if you've been strengthened by these broadcasts. In this program, we've mentioned the increasing isolation and loneliness that's become an epidemic. I'd like each of you to know that there's someone you can always count on to be with you. And that's Jesus. He loves us and promises never to leave us or forsake us. He's the friend who promises to stick closer than a brother. 
We just have to put our faith and trust in him in order to have that personal relationship. Then we'll have daily fellowship with him. God's word assures us, don't be frightened and don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a promise. So how do you receive the Lord into your heart? God's gift of salvation and healing are free for the asking. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with a heart we believe unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10:13 promises that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in the meantime, we'd like to invite you to contact us on the social media or through our website at exploits.tv where you can sign up to receive our weekly updates and our free color magazine, Exploits. So now please don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel app. Our new app enables you to watch all of our videos at any time, to make orders from our bookshop, and to read the entire Bible. Just download the app to your mobile phone or tablet free of charge. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark, Maranatha, and Shalom.